Now, let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We are slowly working our way through this one passage, but uh, as I've shared, uh, for me, I have found it to be unexpectedly rich. And so let's read, let's kind of recap a little bit where we are uh, in this passage. In chapter 5, Paul tells us that God, through Christ, was reconciling the world to himself. Reconciliation is needed when a relationship is broken. And the Bible tells us that sin broke our relationship with God. And so God, loving us, sent his son Jesus Christ. And by taking our sin on himself on the cross and dying for our sin, Jesus brought access to reconciliation through faith in Jesus Christ. And so, through Christ, we are forgiven of our sin. Uh, we are reconciled to God as Father and as our friend. God reconciles with us. So, isn't reconciliation a beautiful word? It is an am amazingly beautiful word. Now, Jesus did the work of reconciliation, but in chapter 5 also that we, as we trust in Christ, we become ambassadors of Christ who are then given the ministry and the message of reconciliation. So we are to work and we are to speak for reconciliation, to help people come to see and believe in Jesus Christ. People who are alienated from God being reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And having said that, Paul then makes this appeal in chapter 6, verse 1. And this has kind of been the framework for these three messages. He writes this, Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. And Father, as we look at this time in your word, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you will speak far beyond what this message speaks. Lord, we, we offer our hearts to you. They're asking you to speak to us deeply. Deeply. That your word would speak life and change and hope and Christ to our souls. We're thirsty, Lord. We're thirsty. And we're coming to drink. Meet us now with the water of your word, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Paul's appeal not to let the grace of God be received in vain. We've talked about how the grace of God can be received in vain, how the grace of God can fail to accomplish in our lives what God gave it to us to accomplish. We've talked about that the last couple of weeks, if, if so you can listen to those messages. I'm not going to cover that ground, but what does that look like? Exactly what does that look like? Especially when it comes to our lives, helping others come to know Jesus Christ and be reconciled to God. How does the grace that's available to us accomplish what God desires to accomplish it? Well, let's pick up in verse 3 where we find Paul outlays four ways that grace accomplished great things in his life and can in our lives as well. Verse 3 he writes this, We put no obstacle in anyone's way 
so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. And here's how he does it. Colon is there. So what does this effective ministry that Paul has look like in real life, in real time? Colon, I'm about to tell you, here's what he says. By great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, and hunger. By now, we're kind of thinking, you know, I'm not sure I want grace accomplishing in my life. Is, that, is there an option that's like, you know, doesn't include that? But we talked about grace for enduring hard times. Then he goes on, he says, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. And last week we talked about grace for retaliating through opposite weapons. And here's where we pick up. The third way we see grace accomplishing in our lives is this. Grace to value reality over reputation. And we're going to unpack that over the next few verses, but look at verse 8 with me. Through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. Paul experienced the ping-pong of human opinion. Sometimes people honored him. Sometimes people dishonored him. Sometimes people praised him. Other times, they slandered him. People's opinions are fickle. Did you know that? People's opinions are fickle. We see that that same dynamic in Jesus' ministry. There's a fascinating verse in chapter 2 two of the Gospel of John, where it tells us that large crowds believed in Jesus. They followed Him and they believed in Him. And you're reading that and you think, great, this is it. Mission accomplished. Large crowds believing in Jesus. That's, that's what He came to do. All is well. And so we, we could think that Jesus could, could relax now. Let His hair down. Because these people who believe in Him will follow Him and believe in Him no matter what, right? Wrong. Listen to what he writes in John chapter 2, verse 24 and 25. But Jesus, on His part, did not entrust Himself to them. To who? To those who believed in Him. Because He knew all people And needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus knew that many of those who believed in him today would be yelling out, crucify him tomorrow. Theirs was not a saving belief. Paul knew that some of the people who honored him and praised him today would be dishonoring him and slandering him tomorrow. People are fickle. What they think about others is fickle. And what they think about you 
is fickle. Well, guess what? This isn't just about them and they. You know, we could sit here and talk all day about they're fickle, right? And, and them. We have to be careful of them. But you're a they. I'm a them. We're in this mix. We are fickle. What we think about someone can turn on a dime. I love you so much. can't believe you did that. I want nothing more to do with you. We are fickle in our opinions. And here's the thing. When we try to derive our identity from what other people think of us, it's like trying to anchor our lives in the sand. It's not going to hold. I haven't told a, uh, uh, my dad and I lived on a sailboat story in quite a while. But my dad and I did. We lived on a sailboat for about a year. And uh, we lived on Long Island. And so in the summer, we would sail around different harbors and lake, uh, Montauk Lake and different places. And uh, I remember one time we harbored in this small harbor. And we set the anchor. And as we're eating dinner and it's getting dark out, my dad says, hey, Alan. Do those boat lights look like they're getting closer to us? Now, these were anchored boats, so they should not be getting closer to us. <laughs> I'm like, I didn't really want the hassle of it, so I'm like, I don't see anything, Dad. <laughs> I was about 12 years old. But he was right. We were moving. The wind was blowing and the, the bottom of the, the harbor was sand, and so the anchor was not really holding well. And so every hour that night, all night long, every hour, one of us had to wake up and go out and make sure we weren't about to hit one of those boats. In the morning, when, I, when we got up, and by the daylight, early morning, we could see that we had drifted close to the shore. We started in the center of the harbor by the morning, we were dangerous close to the shore. The sand wasn't holding us. When we anchor our identity in what people think about us, it's anchoring our identity in shifting sand. And we will always, always, always be checking and rechecking, what do you think of me now? Where do I stand now? Do you like me? Do you dislike me? Are we still good? Honor? Dishonor? Praise? Slander? And we will be checking and rechecking. We're trying, to we're trying to anchor our identity in something that will not hold. Paul goes on in verse 8 to share a fascinating contrast between how people see him, his reputation, and how God sees him, the reality. And let me just say this, it's what God says about us that's reality. Do you realize, I don't know how many people, Billions of people, seven and a half, eight billion people on the earth today. 
Do you realize that if every single one of those 8 billion people thought this about you and God said something else about you, the reality is this. 8, p- 8 billion people's opinion is like a feather on the scales compared to what God says. What God says is reality. Let's see what Paul goes on to say. In verse 8, we are treated as imposters and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. People treated Paul in one way. They saw him in one way, but Paul knew the reality was quite the opposite. People looked at them through a limited perspective. We all do, you know. Our reality, our perspective is limited. It it is. And so they looked at him and they sized Paul up, and not in a very flattering way. So they looked at him and they said, uh, they're imposters. They're not the real deal. But God says, they're the real deal. People assess them as unknown, which is like obscure. It's like nobody knows you. You're unimportant. But heaven knew them well. And by the way, this unknown guy named Paul, history has known him pretty well too. And come to think of it, we're talking about Paul this morning, this unknown guy. We don't know who these other people are who assessed him as unknown. His reputation was one thing. The reality was something else. People saw them as dying, as missing out in life and dead-end street. But they were overflowing with the waters of life and the assurance of eternal life was flowing from them. Reputation said, so sad. Reality is so much joy. They were considered poor, but everywhere they went, they were leaving people rich beyond all earthly wealth as people would come to know Jesus Christ. Some said they have nothing. God said, everything I have is there. reality. And this brings us to a question for our hearts to consider. What do we care more about? What do we care more about? Our reputation or the reality? It's an important question for us to consider, and it goes deeper probably than we think. How much we care about what people think about us and say about us is a a a powerful driver in our lives, is it not? More for some than others. For some, it's a life-driving issue. For others, it's, it's just there. And by the way, it's not wrong to want people to think well of you. It's not wrong. I mean, we don't want to go the opposite direction. Proverbs tells us a good reputation and the respect of people is, is more valuable than silver and gold. So it's not wrong... Don't leave here and try to destroy your reputation. 
The problem comes in when we pursue reputation at the cost of reality. When reputation becomes more important to us than reality, then we've got problems. That's what a hypocrite is, you know? That's what a hypocrite is. They're one thing on the outside, there's something different on the inside. If you can be one thing when you're here and something very different when you're home, you're caring more about, why, why would you do that? Is God not able to see, in, you know, if you're, you have lead-lined walls or something, God can't see you in the home? God sees us everywhere. So if we put on a face when we're with people and we're a very different person at home, what we're caring about when you slice it to the, to the bottom line is our reputation. We care about what people think, but we do not care that much about what God thinks. And that's what a hypocrite is. Reputation is everything. Reality becomes unimportant. Now what Paul is letting us know, and we, we know this, sometimes following Christ is going to make you look bad to people. There is absolutely no way to obey Jesus, love Him, and serve Him, and always look good to everybody. And have everybody like you and think well of you. In fact, sometimes it's going to cost your reputation. It's going to cost you the love and affection of people. Jesus tells us this many different times in many different ways. And so God's grace accomplishing in our lives, one of the works of that grace is to cut the cords of our craving people's approval of us. And anchor us to God's opinion of us. What does God say over you? What does God speak over you? He speaks that you are His child. You are His beloved. You are precious in His sight. You are His redeemed. He has saved you. He has bought you. He will never leave you. Jesus will come back for you. That's the reality that God speaks over us. Nothing can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So when we're anchored to God's unfailing love and His gracious words spoken over our identity, we can be free to let down our guard and let the Holy Spirit work in our hearts. We can let down the image and we can let God work on the real person. So that our character becomes the power of the Holy Spirit, a deepening Christ-like character. So that we become more honest, more in the light. We become bolder to share the gospel. And not, and not just when we think that the audience is going to agree with what we say. We are willing to share the gospel when someone or people will disagree. But this goes the other way too. Everybody could think we're amazing and applaud us and honor us but God may say, you're not honoring me. You're not 
your heart is far from me. You're not real on the inside. And in just in the way that if the world hates you, but God says you're doing well, you're doing well. In the same way, if the world says you're doing great and God says you ain't doing that well, you're not doing well. God determines reality. And that's why we need to ask the Holy Spirit to always be shining His light in our heart. What's going on inside the heart? What's going on in my heart? The beautiful thing is the more we are freed from needing people's good opinion, the more we're free to love people. When we're always craving their good opinion, our focus is on ourselves even when we put it on them. But when we are free from needing, we are free to love. Loved more than Jesus did. And no one took more hits. And, I mean, he was called a blasphemer. He was called demon-possessed. He was called all sorts of horrible things. But he loved right to the cross. That's grace accomplishing in our lives. Grace to value rep reality over reputation. Now, I've got to be honest with you guys. I'm not here. Like, I'm talking way above my pay grade here. I, I'm still I'm still anchored at times to what people think. I'm still checking. Are we okay? Are we good? You know, you like me? I, I'm still there. I'm on this journey with you. So some of you are probably much further along on this journey, but it's a journey worth making. It's a journey to love people but not root our identity in what people say. But it's God's grace. It's God's grace. God's grace in you. Right now, His power can, can give you freedoms as you focus more on what He says over your life than what people said. Maybe you have somebody in your life, maybe a parent who spoke death over your life, who spoke words of failure and you'll never mount anything and, you're, and words that just destroyed. You know what? Those words are nothing. They were hurtful. Yes, absolutely. But that's not what God is speaking over your life. Let the Spirit of God give you freedom from those words and the wounds they've created and give you freedom to live in the identity that God speaks over you, which, by the way, is all grace. It's not because, you, man, we are awesome people, but we are precious people to God, and He has done an awesome work for us through Jesus Christ. So be free. Be free. Reality is all that matters. Anchoring our identity in Christ is all that matters. The second point we see here is grace to open our hearts in a closed world, closed heart world. And this is kind of related to the third point. But look at me at uh, chapter 6, verse 11 and through 13. Paul writes to them, he says, We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. By the way, let me just pause here. There's only three times that Paul ever addresses churches 
by the place they're in. He usually calls them brothers and sisters, beloved, other things like that. Three places he addresses them by their names, and they were all intensely emotional moments. When he writes, who has bewitched you, Galatians? He's pretty intense. When he writes to the Philippians of his love for them. Here, when he says, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. He is, it's intense. His heart is intense. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. Now to be true to the context, this isn't part of Paul's list of grace accomplishing in his life. He ended that in verse 10. That was his resume. Now Paul just turns and he just says, guys, can, can we talk? Can we talk honestly? But I think what he puts here is a beautiful example for us of grace accomplishing and what he wants to accomplish in our lives. Because in verse 11, Paul gets very personal and vulnerable. I want us to remember the context here. Paul and the Corinthians have just come through some very challenging, raw, messy conflicts. And that tension is still in the air. There were people in Corinth bad-mouthing Paul. There were people listening to false apostles who were doing nothing but bad-mouthing Paul. And they were listening to them. There were people disrespecting Paul, disrespecting him. So as we've, as we've already read, Paul went there to try to clear things up and, and only made things worse. He left Corinthian Corinth, things were worse than when he got there. So he then fires off a, a strong letter to them, sends it to them. As soon as he hit send, he regretted it because he was concerned, I've just maybe hurt our relationship. Maybe I was too strong. There's a tension between the Corinthians and Paul. There's a rawness, there's an awkwardness in their relationship. Now we're going to learn in the next chapter that things are getting better. There's good news, but there's still leftover tension. Have you ever worked out something with somebody, but there's still a little bit of tension in there, a little bit of awkwardness in a relationship? And with tension comes the temptation to be guarded. You guard your heart. Dance around each other. You know what I'm talking about? You ever? Come on, you've been there. Something strong was said. Something on words were spoken. Husband, wise, you got that going too. At times, and all of a sudden, you're like, you know, you're just you're guarded. You're doing a dance. I'm good. How are you? You might be doing horrible. They say, how are you? You don't trust them to say, uh, uh, can I share something with you? I'm good. Afraid to be vulnerable. Who's going to be the first one to be vulnerable and let down their guard? It's Paul who takes the first step towards the Corinthians. That's what grace accomplishing looked like in Paul. He had a wide open heart full of affection for them. Paul loves them enough to risk opening his heart and saying, hey guys, 
I'm opening wide my heart. Would you open wide your heart to me as well? That's a, that's a vulnerable thing to say. It really is. And also remember the context. Paul was the one who, they were the ones who offended Paul. They're the ones who spoke badly about Paul. He didn't speak badly about Paul. And so Paul could say, I'm waiting this thing out until you, you take the first step towards me. You take the first step. I'm, I'm going to let you do that. But he doesn't. He says, I, listen, I'm like a father to y'all. You have dismissed me. You have disrespected me. You have listened to enemies who want to destroy me. But I love you guys. And I'm like a father. I'm the one who led you to Christ. I'm going to be vulnerable with you guys. He lets down his guard. He opens up his heart. Now, it's important for us to remember that in context, Paul isn't opening his heart to his enemies. These are not his enemies. Jesus tells us we're to love our enemies, but we're not to open our hearts to them and make ourselves vulnerable in any given situation. I have found you have to. You share your honest heart with the wrong person, and if they have ill intent, they will use what you share against you. Has that ever happened to you? you? You can't create intimacy by sharing your heart with someone if their heart is not for you. You just make yourself vulnerable to them using that against you. So please, again, you know, so many of these things... We could go out misarmed and use them in the wrong ways. Um, Paul is not speaking to people who hate him, who want his demise. He's talking to people who do love him. But there's tension and rawness in their relationship right now. <clears throat> I've seen Christians, I've been this Christian, who have broken off relationships with others because of disagreements, because of misunderstandings, even because of sinful wrongs done against one another. And that blocks the grace of God from working in that situation. Jesus said, the world will know that we are Christians by our love for one another. But far too often, the world knows we are Christians because of our disagreements and our dislike and our disputes with one another. Grace not accomplishing what God gives it to accomplish. And that's an obstacle to unbelievers coming to Christ. They look at the church, and, and, and the church says, you can have what we have. And they look inside and they say, no, thank you. We don't want that. Debating, arguing, divisions, a lot of stuff that was going on in Corinth. That can happen to any of us. It really can. I've experienced this. I wonder if you've ever experienced this. I wonder if you have this going on in your heart. I actively fight against this heart. When, when you meet someone new, a new believer, hey, I'd like you to meet John. Hey, John. 
you immediately have stuff that goes up. You don't know them, but stuff goes up. I wonder what their angle is. I wonder what their, you know, you don't trust. <clears throat> Instead of saying, man, it's good to see you. It's good to meet you. Um, and just kind of give them an element of trust, like a, a playing field of trust. We give them mistrust, suspicion. I, I, you know, you take that too far. There are Christians who walk around and, and, and it's like the first thing they hit you with is mistrust, suspicion. I don't know about you. And that's what they, that, based on nothing, that's what, when our hearts have been like hurt or we've kind of gone through relational things like that, we begin to apply that and we begin to, we begin to get cynical and suspicious and there is no gift of the Spirit called suspicion. So we've got to work against that. You meet a new believer, give them love. Go to another country, you meet a Christian in another country, don't go there and say, I wonder what, wonder what their angle is. Say, I love you, brother. I love you, sister. If they mess up, then you've got to work through that. But, but give love. Give an element of trust. People earn trust. But, but start home field advantage. Amen? Give believers home field advantage. And fight the tendency of looking at them and, and in your heart, putting your hands in your pockets. Saying, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Love them. Thank God for them. Paul's example here is to press past the awkwardness. Forgive them what they did wrong. And open his heart. And I want to share as we close why that's such an important part of grace accomplishing in our lives. Because the primary work of Jesus Christ is to reconcile our hearts and our lives and our relationship with God the Father. And amen and hallelujah, he accomplished that on the cross. But an a incredibly essential secondary part of that work was to reconcile us to one another. A primary work of the Holy Spirit in us is that we experience fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. The sweet fellowship with the Lord. But a secondary but essential byproduct of the work of the Holy Spirit is that we enjoy fellowship with each other. And when we cut the one, we, we, we begin to damage the other. And we love God who we've not seen, if we don't love our brother whom we have seen. So maybe as we close, there's someone you're thinking of right now. There could well be. And again, I feel like there's so many qualifications. Forgive me for going, but I just know these things can... Listen, I'll be honest with you. There are relationships out there where... where we have tried to work through it and haven't been able to, and I'm okay with that. I'm, you know, as Paul says, be at peace with everybody as, as much as possible with you. I've tried to make peace with some people, um, probably not perfectly, I'm not trying to, but I'm just saying, and I'm okay not anymore. Like, okay, we're just going to go on, God will sort it out when we get up there. But I'm talking about... I'm not talking about the cases that have come to a dead end. You've done everything you know to do. It's, it's, you, you don't know. Just leave it in the hands of God at that point and be at peace. 
I'm talking about those raw relationships where words were spoken, things were done. There's, they love Jesus, you love Jesus. There's an awkwardness, there's a tension, there's this, all this stuff in the air between you. And um, you, maybe you're guarded, you dance around together. <clears throat> and I want to just encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit to give you boldness of heart, to let down your guard, to open your heart. And, and I don't mean, if there's a disagreement, you disagree with them, they disagree with you, you do not have to be phony. That's not going to serve the purpose. You don't have to say, okay, well, I agree with you when you don't. You can say, listen, we have some serious disagreements. But here's what I want to encourage you to do. Two things. By the grace of God, emphasize the person over the problem. Emphasize the person over the problem. See, when there's a relational thing, a lot of times what we see is the problem and we lose sight of the person. And emphasize relationship over disagreement. Emphasize relationship over disagreement. And very often, not always, very often as you do that, you'll see that as you open your heart, you express your affection, and you make yourself vulnerable, that they will feel more safe to be the same and do the same. Grace available and accomplishing. All that God means for it to accomplish. We can't do this. We cannot do this. The title of this message isn't us accomplishing. It's grace accomplishing. Let's go to God. And maybe there's a very real thing that's been touched in your heart right now. Let's go to God and ask Him for grace, for power, for the Holy Spirit to enable us, to free us from people's opinions, to help us open our heart in a closed heart world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for grace. Thank you that you have given us, as John puts it, grace upon grace, an ocean of grace. Like the ocean, the waves keep coming and keep coming. Your grace keeps waving over us and, and just coming to our lives. Grace upon grace, and we need it, Lord. We desperately need you. We do not have this thing down. We're on journey. And we need you every step of the way. But Lord, we thank you that you're a generous, loving God. And you love to pour out grace when it's asked for. And Lord, we ask you, Lord, secure in our position with you through Christ. Secure that we have received saving grace through faith in Christ. We now ask you for fresh grace to accomplish that which you have given it to us to accomplish in our lives. And Lord, I pray for that person whose heart is just constantly checking and rechecking, tethered to the opinions of people, that God, you will give them a great freedom, not from people, but to love people, but to not root their identity in what people think, because we are fickle. And ultimately, what we think is not really that important. It's what you think, God. So I pray you help them to root their identity in Christ and in the love of God, and in the good work of Christ in them. Lord, I pray for that person right now who's thinking of another face, thinking of a relationship that's, that's in 
tension in that's raw there's awkwardness all these things lord i pray that you give them grace to let down their guard to be humble to be loving even if they strongly disagree even if they've been hurt to forgive and to say let's work through this lord i pray for your grace in that help us lord to be open-hearted towards others, to encourage them, to see the best in them, to, to believe, Lord God, your good work in them, even when they stumble and fall. And we pray that you send others our way who will do the same for us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much, Lord. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a, a super week. <laughs>